Hello and welcome to the Immersive Chemistry Podcast, a podcast which examines the intersection of chemistry, chemical engineering, game design, educational sciences and technology. In each episode, we explore the impact of immersive learning research and these fields through interviews and discussion. As always, I'm joined by my co-host, Jesse. Jesse, how are you today? Hey, I'm doing fine, Tim. Uh, here in Belgium, everything is almost back to normal. So, yeah, it's... Fantastic. Yeah. How are you? I'm also very well. Um, I'm just noting to myself that it took me quite a long time to put out the last podcast, not because <laughs> it wasn't edited and prepared. It's because, for whatever reason, I was just very... I procrastinated a lot after you did such a good job of editing it. So... Although we only published a podcast what last week or the week before, um, this is the first recording we've done in a while. So it's good good to see you again. Indeed, and we have a special episode today because actually I am together with the host here. So it would have been a nice opportunity to do the video podcast, but well, <laughs> we can try to plan it for next time. <laughs> yeah, and... Um, in, I mean, it's coming up very soon. We're also going to meet in person again, so maybe we can try to record. Um, yeah, record in person. Who knows? Yeah, right. So m- maybe maybe it's a good chance and you can introduce uh, today's guest. Sure. Uh, yeah, so our guest today is Sane. Sorry, Sane, for your, the pronunciation. Falone. Falone? Okay, you <laughs> close, can say close. <laughs> Uh, She's also part of the Charming Network. Uh, she's a physicist uh, working in Lugo's studio. And she's also conducting research uh, there and also at KU Leuven. And I think she has a very interesting background. Uh, so maybe instead of spoiling it, uh, we can ask her. So welcome, Sani. How are you today? Hey, Jesse and Tim. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to be here because I've heard a lot of podcasts already. And I'm happy to be part of it, finally. Uh, yeah, and I'm, I'm doing well. Um, I'm also in Leuven together with, with Jesse now, and we're actually in the same room, which is also exciting because it has been a while that we were able to do that. And yeah, so I'm happy about these positive changes again going out of COVID. Yeah, I must say we, we've been looking forward to talking to you, and we've been we've actually been putting it off a little bit as you've been developing um, the prototype that you've been working on, which will uh, probably get a little bit. Um, well, we'll go into more detail definitely sort of later on, but maybe we can begin by finding out a little bit about um, yeah, your background. Jesse already mentioned that mm-hmm. you have a background in physics, um, so m- maybe educationally, but also generally. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, tell, tell the listeners a little bit about yourself. Yeah, so um, I have a background in physics, and I actually ended up doing game design, um, which is quite, yeah, it's, I don't think it's a normal path you term, normally take. Um, but yeah, when I was studying physics, um, I did a lot of yeah more research in material science where you're working with colloidal systems, which are like very small particles that you put in a microscope. And I really noticed that I actually was more en- enthusiastic about the fact that you could see those particles, that you could visualize them and you could see the difference than actually the physics and the research behind it. And... Um, I also did a PhD at that point um, in this particular field, but I noticed, noticed, yeah, this was not really the field that I wanted to continue in. And I started at a um, yeah, technical, technical consultancy company. And there there was a project or a potential client that wanted to do something with VR and AR. And I was so enthusiastic about that you can like visualize these holograms and 
yeah, basically create an, a new world. And um, that's actually, and yeah, let me end up doing this PhD here. Um, while still actually pursuing, yeah, also sharing my interests of material science, physics, chemistry, myself, also to the children. And that's actually how I ended up here. Yeah. And you actually work, well, we are, you are part of Charming, but you are based, uh, you have a double uh, status, is that right? Uh, yeah, I'm not sure if a double status, but yeah. I'm definitely working for, for two companies, basically. So I'm working full-time at Lucas Studios, uh, which is a small game development company in Hasselt, which is on the east side of Belgium. Um, I'm officially working there full-time. Um, and it's really exciting because I can see like the game industry from close by. And I also see how... how they work in it and also excited to see like games that they release and how the process is. But of course, like my work is also part of a PhD and that's what I'm conducting at Kelly Leuven in the chemistry department. And it always, always makes it very funny to explain because yeah, I'm, I'm doing my PhD in chemical engineering. I'm working for a game development company, but actually the work I'm doing is more like computer science related because we are trying to use technology to make children enthusiastic for chemistry. So I'm a bit all over the place, uh, but it also makes it fun, you know, and exciting to do. And it's nice that like having those different uh, yeah, areas to combine together and to be something that I'm really passionate about, or at least what I've been doing yeah, in the past also. <laughs> yeah. An interesting th thing that I've, I find about your position in amongst all these chemical engineers or chemists, particularly coming from the physics background, is, is I guess the questions that I pose as, a, as somebody from an educational sciences background regarding the hierarchy of sciences and whether or not chemistry is more important than <gasps> physics or physics is more important than no, chemistry. No, 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 that's the, <laughs> no, no, that way, too. No, 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 please. <laughs> We're not if going to that direction. Was, if only there was a... Um, a hardcore mathematician in the project as well maybe i think they would win win the argument but we we won't go down that up. <laughs> no. we won't go down that route right now no. uh, so you've you've mentioned you're working at luga studios who um we've had a chance to visit the studio small i guess a um, independent studio has developed a very successful drone racing game mm -hmm. i understand yes um and, and some other educational content also for KU Leuven, mm -hmm. one of which some previous research have, have used. Um, Shioma, who was on the podcast earlier, uh, in one of the earlier episodes, um, she studied um, CosmiClean, the, the effect. Uh, I'm not sure exactly what her research question was. I'd have to go back and check, mm -hmm. but maybe it was about efficacy or uh, maybe acceptance of video games in higher education. Yeah, yeah. But that was using Luga Studios CosmiClean. Mm -hmm. um, but you're actually researching something um, completely different and a novel sort of approach, integrating um, children's motivation and interest with um, mm -hmm. adoption of chemistry. Yes. So maybe you can provide a bit, a little bit more context as as to what your research focus really is. Yeah. Um, yeah. So indeed, Lucas has already developed some games with regard to chemistry and education. It was also in collaboration with my supervisor Ilse Smets. Um, but those were like not focused on children. So I think, anyways, if we wanted to continue with those games, we needed to like redesign it. And actually, my research question or my, my research direction when I started was basically basically looking at how can we use immersive technologies 
to create um, chemistry experiences for children. Can we like, and here I'm really talking about augmented reality or virtual reality, those, yeah, the system where you can really get into this environment and, and have this all around you. Um, and um, what I wanted to say, and yeah, that also did not fit with, with the, the games that were existing. Um, so yeah, we have a lot of thinking, a lot of discussing about what do we actually want to have. And in the end, uh, my colleague or my supervisor, Casper, he came with a really cool design where um, we basically use VR to have an, an yeah, an, an fume hood. I'm not sure if you are familiar with the fume hoods, but fume hoods are like this boxes in the chemistry lab, which are normally used to uh, do very, um, very dangerous experiments. And basically, we wanted to see if we can recreate it in a in, um, in classroom. Um, and then in that sense, there were also like different problems that would arise when using VR that could be eliminated. So VR itself, it's like it's still new technology, um, but it's not always practical because you have the headset on your head, at least for children it's known that if they have it on their head, they can really be closed off of the, the, the world and they can get so immersed that they just run into walls and hurt themselves. Or you also need to put it on their head and there's extra help necessary. And those, like, those extra things add up for the teacher themselves. And those are things that the teacher cannot do. Well, yeah, VR is still a very powerful uh, technology to really do experiments in re real time, basically. Um, and that's also, yeah, why we decided to do that and to see if we can create some kind of experience or setup environment um, that we can put in a classroom without actually the extra help that is needed from a teacher. So that you basically have this box with a chemistry experiment in it, you can put it in the, the classroom and the children can just try it out and experiment and, and do things in it. Um, and that the teacher yeah, does not have this need to put in this extra effort to, to help to guide the children or to, yeah, uh, to explain extra. Uh, maybe, maybe you can explain how exactly you, you got away from this need this requirement for the teacher to put on the headset and yeah yeah what was i mean it's a very novel yeah. approach to actually how you've done this um yeah so the idea is following maybe we can put an, an, an image on the website um but basically it is a box just a cardboard box where we mount the headset on the walls of the box and then basically the idea is that it's like some kind of look through box where you look inside the box through the headset so the headset is like completely stuck to the ball. And then uh, we have like holes also in the box where the children can put their hands in. And yeah, basically interact with the virtual environment that we created inside the box by using the VR headset. That's the idea. Um, and, and so from a development perspective, I mean, firstly, maybe what's interesting about that is typically when we think about uh, let's say an Oculus Quest, which I think you're using Oculus Quest at the yes. moment, um, is that one of the fantastic advantages of the Quest over, say, earlier versions of headsets such as the HTC Vive or even the um, the Rift, the Oculus Rift, is that individuals using the headsets can really move around and, and they can they can be a part of mm -hmm. this. 
um, like sort of, um, yeah, they can they can walk through walk through a room, for example. Yeah. And in it, and what you've done here, actually, you've you've removed that um, advantage of the headset, mm-hmm. and you've actually constrained the learner, in this case, the learner t- to a physical space. Um, but by the way, when you see the the the, the prototype that you've developed. You've really done it to an advantage of what you're trying to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's just super interesting. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, but with with this, one thing that comes to mind is that you're like, what were the what were the design constraints? I guess, or what were the challenges, the technical challenges with doing this around, say, um, hand tracking or <laughs> the controller tracking or things like this, because it's not really being used in the way it was designed. Yeah. Um, let me think about it. So I think the design challenges are still similar as that you would have with the when you have the, the full scale, scale room tracking. The only challenge that is really related to this, I think, um, is not really the hand tracking or, or the use of controllers or not. So we actually are not using controllers because, yeah, from a practical standpoint, when you put it in a classroom, um, those are are like not handy. Like you can lose them, you can break them, the batteries can die. So we really decided to use here hand tracking. Uh, but I think the most challenging is actually the fact that we have this limited space. Like you have the headset um, and yeah, you cannot put things too far if you have the virtual world because the children cannot grab it anymore. anymore. But you can also like not put it too close because then the headset cannot see it anymore. So you're really restricted to what the headset can see at that moment. Um, and I think that is the most challenging part for now because we really need to be smart of, if we have this experiment, how do we position things and how do we like um, play around with, yeah, introducing certain mechanics so that we like not take up as much space as that you would normally use. Um, <clears throat> yeah, and other sides, I think like from a practical challenge, um, the children are not have the same height all. <laughs> so that is also like something you need to take into account. So we decided to make the, the setup in such a way that you put it on the table. And then we have a chair that you can um, increase or decrease in height. So that you, in that sense, um, yeah, have control about for that it is comfortable for the children. And yeah, the hand tracking itself, but that's always a challenge. That is like super new itself. Um, there are not many games that already use it. And it's also, I think from Oculus, it has been introduced a year ago. So to have that naturally, that's also one of the, the challenging that I am actually have been now finally working on last week to see how we can overcome that. Um, and that it's like, is, designed in such a way that it also feels natural um, and that you have the barrier as low as possible. I hope that answers a bit your question. Yeah, w- one of the interesting things I found about your research is also that you are breaking this, um, this technology for new target groups. And I think uh, maybe you can also tell us a little bit about that. So how you are going to answer your research question it's sometimes not so easy because nobody has, or not many people has tried VR with kids. So then the way to test your hypothesis and everything, it's normally, well, I guess not so uh, 
yeah, not so um, known for everybody. So it's also challenging to, to find new techniques or... Yeah, this, so it is new. Like, it's not that has that it has not been done. I think there is also... It's a, it's a challenging, I think, area to be in because while VR is very like positive, there are also downsides, maybe long-term downsides that are not researched yet. And that's like from a research standpoint, um, yeah, it can sometimes be difficult to say like, I'm going to, to do this. And that also was one of my, my words that I had because like, there are downsides, for example, Ethically, like you can, if the children get so immersed, how do you deal with that? Um, you have like physical harms that could be used if you like use it for a long time. Um, so I had indeed some doubts like, okay, should I go into the VR direction? But in the end, we also saw that there was so many like positive reactions when we were talking to schools, like they are so enthusiastic and you really see that there is a push also from the schools themselves that they're really would like to see how they can integrate these new technologies in the classroom. There also have been some researchers done that, but yeah, it is in that sense still new. Um, and from a research point of view, yeah, I think I now, for now, really decide to go more on a qualitative approach, develop our setup, put it in the classroom, um, and then see what happens and hopefully learn from that. And then. Also, in the end, to extract some guidelines so that, um, in the end, game developers, because, yeah, I'm still in working for a game development company and we want to make these guidelines as practical as possible, um, that those also will be useful for those game developers that they, if they want to make something like that, that they know, okay, here I need to take into account or this is maybe a way how I can do it. But again, yeah, there are also so many different ways that you can implement it. Um, and this is just one way, um, yeah. I think on, on the safety aspect, another feature of your design, in a sense, limits the amount of time a learner will spend interacting with their head yeah. and face, with their eyes basically yeah. in the in the environment. And it also provides a somewhat, um, yeah, simply because they're not going to be standing over leaning for 20, 30 minutes at a mm -hmm. time, which might be the case in a super immersive yeah. um, learning environment. Um, yes. And, and, and yeah, so that's indeed also one of the requirements that we set when we were thinking about doing this design. Like, we want to create small experiences that cannot be longer than 15 minutes. So um, this initially also came a little bit from like experience I had when I was still doing physics, doing my physics studies. We had like this physics fairs where we had like many people or many students gathered and they, did, they showed like small experiments to the audience, to the broader public. And those were like small, like 10 to, to 15 minutes. Um, and then the idea was a bit that this could also be an environment that they can do these small experiments, but then the children can do it themselves. Yeah. So at least having this small time window of the, the children to play in it was also one of the requirements. Yeah. It's also interesting to think about your use of hand tracking. Now, Hand tracking has actually been around in virtual reality for, since the early days with, um, uh, I've, I've, I forget the exact name of it, but uh, Leap Motion, yeah. sorry. Leap Motion was this sort of, um, you, could, you could sort of, it was a peripheral that you could add to your headset. And I think they even developed before that. It basically 
was a product before headsets, um, I mean, consumer-based headsets, and they sort of thought, oh, yeah, this is a perfect thing that could be added if you have a VR headset. Mm -hmm. And but that was that wasn't very common, um, definitely not in use. So, but when you started your PhD, Oculus hadn't enabled the hand tracking. I think when you began this development of the of the um, fume hood, you weren't able to activate hand tracking with the Oculus Rift. So, it, I guess it it was it was very clever because everybody had was anticipating hand tracking with virtual reality because it was also integrated. Um, but was it a bit of a relief, in a sense, when when the, when they said, "Okay, now the Oculus Quest, the one that everybody owns, we're going to be able to flip a switch, and suddenly you've got hand tracking." Or, or yeah, maybe you can talk um, a bit about that. So actually, uh, we were lucky because I think when we when we had this initial design, the Oculus already had the future of the hand tracking, or at least it was already like. Available. It was already mentioned that it would be coming to the Oculus Quest, and I think otherwise we would not have done it. We would probably would have okay. stuck with the controllers. I'm not sure. Like I also know, indeed, the Magic Leap that it's often um, connected to the headset, um, but I'm not sure how that works. And I'm also actually <laughs> glad that I didn't have to figure it out. <laughs> yeah, I've actually got I've got one. I was given one when I, um, once and. I'd never managed to get it to yeah. work on my Vive. It was a little bit, little bit above my pay grade. I don't think it's so challenging for people with um, a little bit of competence in the realm of computer science, but well above um, where I'm at. Yeah, uh, I wanted to ask you, San. I uh, you share recently your post, your blog post, yeah. and you shared that you already test your prototype. So True. maybe you can tell us about that <laughs> and maybe what are the next plans for the prototype after you what you learn in your study or... Yeah, yeah, I can try to... Um, so actually, um, we did our first test in end of May and then we did a second test end of June because it was a bit of a rush because that was also like the times that are the last days for the children that they can go to school and we, really, we still wanted to have it in the school year and just to have have at least tested once just to see if this design would work at all. Because, yeah, it is indeed a new way of approaching it. It would be a bit disappointing if you have developed it all and that it then, yeah, you figure out a year later, yeah, it does not work. Um, so the first step was really like, okay, um, can the children work at it at all? At all? And I think those tests were quite positive. Um, the children, like... They liked it, I think, so that was good. Although it was very, it, it was still very in the early stages. So we embedded it in like a bigger activity. So we had in total three activities, uh, also with my colleague Michael and then my supervisor Ilsen, where they first played a board game and then did my prototype and then had an actual VR test just to, to like make it more of a fun activity for them than just like, hey, come here, do this half. Have finished prototype and then go away again. Um, but yeah, it was positive because in the end, um, what happened was actually that all the children did the the interactions as we would expect them to be, and I think that's a major like accomplishment as a game developer if you at least were able to to, to yeah to make it in such a way that they do also what you want them to do. 
Um, and also, we did not really observe some troubles with the headset itself. Or the only problem was that the headset was positioned too high, mm. so the chair needed to go all the way up. And even mm-hmm. then, they were mm-hmm. still not able to to look through the headset very well. So we put like cushions and. Yeah, <laughs> so that was definitely one of the things that we, we learned. And yeah, the hand tracking, um, because I was also still not familiar myself that well. I just used uh, the interaction that Oculus provided, and that was like doing pinch interaction, where you punch your thumb and, and, and um, index finger together. But it was hard to explain, and also hard for the children to do, that I really need to, to learn to the, um, explain it to them. And then we definitely found some points that we really needed to improve. And those were the things that we then improved in the next user test, where we made some small changes, like for example, how the hardness was displaced in the environment, how we displaced the hands in the environment, and um, the, make the headset a little bit uh, lower and more sturdy. And yeah, that also seemed to work well. Uh, but yeah, those were like first tests. Um, I think now what we want to do is do another test where we have some more variation. So for example, if we so in the test itself, we asked the children to examine material hardness and they had an hydraulic press, um, a big industrial machine that you cannot normally use in a classroom. Um, and then they need to like squeeze materials and then depending how how much effort or how fast it squeezes, it tells you whether a um, material is harder or whether a material is softer. Uh, but yeah, we chose for this to have like a pull handle. And we actually had a lot of discussion with me and Michael and my supervisors like, yeah, is a pull handle doable or not? And they wanted to do some different handles. So for example, we're going to try different handles and see how the children perceive that. Um, I'm looking more now deeper into the hand tracking because I now also made some small changes that seem to improve. But I don't think that's good enough yet, especially if you wanted to have a system that you can put in a classroom. You don't want still have someone sitting next to it and explain like, oh, you need to do it like this. Um, it needs to be as natural as possible. Um, and we want to integrate it more with yeah, the advantage of VR that you actually can look going from the macro scale to the micro scale and that you can actually really mm-hmm. see the smaller particle systems. Um, so that's them for the next test. And then the ultimate goal is to actually embed it in a um, workshop um, so that it will be tested in a real class environment to see, okay, if you put it in a classroom with a teacher and the students, is the design good enough? Did we mm-hmm. do it well enough that no extra help is needed? And this is also something I'm currently developing with, with uh, Michael, where we have like several activities that the children can do. Then they have groups that they need to go by. Um, and then in that sense, we hope to get some information if you use this prototype in a real life experience. That's... So it seems like you're actually doing a few things at the same time. You're developing sort of these novel interactions with hand tracking. Yeah. And trying to solve some technical problems related to that. Mm-hmm. You're also developing the content, so the things the students learn within the environment. Yeah, um, and with that... And that's also in collaboration with Michael. So Michael yeah. is really looking on the learning content, like, okay, what do we need to show the children? 
And that's actually really nice because there's a really collaboration, like we have brainstorms together and yeah, but I in the end need to put it into the environment itself. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then also by describing this sort of workshop or having it go into the classroom, you're also including some instructional design aspects. Mm -hmm. So you have this, um, you have this educational technology in the form of a virtual reality uh, fume hood. You have the content that you want the learners, the students to learn, which I think unsurprisingly also includes some physics. <laughs> and then you also need to think, okay, how can we best integrate this into a lesson with one of the main design concerns being that the teacher can do that independently. Yeah. Um, it's a yeah, it's a it's a it's a really complicated <laughs> or maybe complex sort of uh, sort of um, thing that you're doing there. But I also think it's just very impressive that you're taking this on and you're collaborating. You, you're mentioning Michael; he was on our podcast last the our last episode of the podcast. Um, but it's it's a really exciting sort of thing to to be seeing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, to be honest, I have to say, like with this type of research, you cannot like exclude one or the other. Um, you know, you cannot make a an, an learning game without also taking the usability into account. Um, you cannot like create a system that you want to put in a classroom without the learning content, right? right? And I think this was also one of the, the points that one of my, my colleagues also made, like, but what are you going to focus on? Because like doing everything is, is not doable. And yeah, this is charming. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Everything, it has to be. Yeah, everything has to be. Um, so, yeah, while I'm we're current, I'm doing everything, I really try to shift my focus research-wise on the usability side to really put it into the environment. But, yeah, the other things like making it fun, having the learning content, those are things that you cannot exclude. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's probably the same for, for Jesse, right? You yeah, I think we have, uh, some of us have, have the same, but I think the, the fact that you are able to, to make this holistic approach and, and collaborate with the others that actually are focusing on specific aspects is the challenge, but it's also the richness of, of, of charming in general. Yeah. So. so I guess another question I'm interested in is what are your plans for the future, not necessarily from your from a research perspective, but even from maybe a commercialization perspective, which is something that funding from the European Union, which um, Charming is funded from the European Union, is something that um, yeah is 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 on let's say the one of the sort of criteria that people should be trying to sort of commercialize the products that they develop. Have you have you considered something like that, or do you have any? Um, no, I don't have plans from my side. Um, if I can dream a little bit, I would really love this prototype to end up in some kind of uh, yeah boxes that we can lend to schools and then that it would go through the, the K-11. So I know that there are already existing some bo- boxes around different subjects, uh, but we have to see how far it goes. Um, and actually, this is some question I have in mind myself um, that I'm still on my list to also discuss with my supervisor. Like, hey, if I finish my PhD, what is your plan to actually continue in it? Um, because I think it would be very, yeah, not sad, not sad is not a good word, but a pity if they do not continue in it and that it will be like sitting somewhere uh, in a 
dusty shelf. Well, I think it would be great if we can somehow actually integrate it into a classroom activity. or um, And especially because when we were talking with teachers, uh, when we started PSD, schools are really, yeah, really want those type of activities. They, they want to give more science into the classroom, but um, they didn't have enough content or activities to do. Um, so in that sense, it would be great if we can further develop it afterwards. But yeah, we have to see what time learns. Yeah. I, th I think one of the really, um, one of the advantages this sort of, let's call it a product has against say, um, well, let, let's just say specifically for, for this product is that you can then go from a, let's say from a science perspective or a teaching of science perspective, it's really like a controlled environment where students can go in and explore and it's really up to the imaginations of the developers, so the learning content developers and the computer scientists who they collaborate with. Um, they, you can almost do anything, not anything imaginable, but almost from a perspective where you want to teach, let's say, the scientific method. Mm -hmm. So teaching the scientific method is one of the key elements of, um, science education at primary schools and secondary schools. This is really important. Mm -hmm. Yes, of course, you need to know um, the uh, key areas of knowledge related to um, the different fields of science, but the scientific method is really one um, important aspect and teachers struggle to have these controlled environments mm -hmm. because of the amount of time it takes to set up experiments, the resources one needs, the experiments that um, maybe are accessible to a teacher with 30 kids in the classroom. Um, that, that, let's say the most representative experiments of what's possible in the world of science are not accessible in the same way a virtual reality fume would, would offer. Yeah. Um, yeah, so have you considered like the, yeah, maybe have you considered the other options that you could have outside of the, um, what you're working on now? in terms of content? Um, so, yeah, for now, uh, we really need to focus on one thing, um, I would say, before we can continue the next. But, yeah, having what you mentioned now, that was also, like, the things that I, I noticed when you need to, like, organize the science fair. You have all these experiments. They can be messy. You cannot um, really, like, redo experiments. And those are things that we indeed include in the few modes, like, you have the children, you, they have an experiment that they can do, but they are not really, it does not change depending on the circumstances. And they have like actually a reset button and they completely reset everything and they can try again. Um, but yeah, for now, we did not really include, like in that sense, uh, the scientific method. We are for now really focusing on chemistry itself and try to give them some um, knowledge about different material properties. Um, but yeah, that's definitely one thing that could be put in because with VR you can do everything what you, you want. Um, but yeah, therefore we need some more time to actually see how we can integrate it, I think. So, yeah. And and of course, virtual reality has the advantage of being able to demonstrate chemical properties yeah, yeah. that aren't afforded by um, other technologies. True, true. Yeah, so for example, indeed with uh, the, the showing of the particle model, 
that's something you cannot do as in a normal experiment. Like you cannot like zoom into a material and just see what happens on the micro scale. Um, so those are now the things that we're mostly looking into. Yeah. <laughs> well, Sunny, I th I'm absolutely um, I'm I'm absolutely astonished by sort of the progress you've made over the last uh, few years. Uh, I remember you sort of talking about this idea very early on, and it's yeah, it's it's great to see. Um, yeah, it's great to see it coming to fruition as it is. Um, are you, are you, Jesse, before we sort of wrap up, do you have any final questions for Sunny? No, not questions, but I just want to congratulate you. I also, ha I, I actually have tried her prototype and it's super cool. It's the design, it's, it's, it's very nice. And I think it will really make a, yeah, maybe you will change uh, the way uh, VR it's perceiving in, 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 you know, in, in schools for little children. Uh, and yeah, just to congratulate you, it's very nice work. Thank you, thank you. Yeah, I hope that um, that our research also helps a bit uh, with giving a boost of this type of developments uh, for 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 schools, um, and that we really can can contribute also to the enthusiasm for science with children mm -hmm. by using this. Yeah. And for anybody who sort of wants to find out more about um, your research or the the um, the prototype, mm -hmm. I guess they could. Firstly, there's there's the blog post that you put up on the Charming website, mm -hmm. charming uh, charming etn dot etn. yeah. eu. Mm -hmm. um, and is there any other way that they can reach you? Or is that the best place? Uh, well, you can always shoot me an email. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, you can find my email on the the Charming website or at the Lugus site. It's Lugus Studios. Um, and yeah, if you're more interested or want to try it out and you're in Belgium or maybe you are a teacher and would like to try it out in the area of Belgium and the Netherlands, uh, yeah, you can always con contact us. Fantastic. Well, Sunny, thank you. Thank you very much for um, joining us today. And we'll see you in person in a few weeks at the next Charming Network. Water yeah, event. I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> yep. Okay. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Okay. Thank you. Bye. Bye. The Charming Project has received funding from the European Union's Framework for Research and Innovation from Horizon 2020.